This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Is love always good? Is it true that love wins over everything? Common sense says that no matter how disastrous the outcome of a certain action, if the intention behind it is a loving one, then that action could be considered good, or at least forgivable. Dr. Susie Ferrarello thinks we can do better than this. In her book, The Ethics of Love, she discusses the difficult intersection of love and ethics. Love is the most important component of our emotional life on a personal, social, and interpersonal level, and yet not enough education is invested in learning how to love each other in a decent, healthy way. Dr. Ferrarello shows us the importance of ethics for love in the same way as she would discuss the importance of logic for reasoning. Ethics is the heart of love in the same way as logic is the brain of reasoning. Although it is possible to spend a life without loving anyone, Loving someone and being loved according to the best of our intentions and the best of our possibilities is the most reasonable thing to do to get through life in a meaningful and fulfilling way. Valeria Tellis interviews Dr. Susie Ferrarello, the author of The Ethics of Love. Susie Ferrarello, PhD, is an assistant professor at California State University, East Bay. She completed her doctoral studies in philosophy at the Sorbonne in Paris, She also has an MA in Human Rights and Political Science from the University of Bologna. She received her accreditation in Philosophical Counseling in New York under the direction of Dr. Lou Marinoff. Currently, she teaches at the California State University East Bay and Saybrook University. She has taught courses in language, philosophy, and history, and has lectured and presented papers at universities in the U.S., Italy, Japan, Poland, Belgium, France, and the U.K., Meet Dr. Susie at practicalintentionality.com and psychologytoday.com slash intl slash contributors slash Susie hyphen Ferrarello hyphen PhD. Here is the interview with Dr. Susie Ferrarello. In your own words, who is Dr. Susie Ferrarello? Hi, Valeria. Thanks for uh, having me here. Uh, who am I? 
I don't know. That's a very already a very philosophical question. I'm an Italian uh, who came to the Bay Area seven years ago now to find my dream job. I love philosophy. I wanted to study and do philosophy in my life. And um, California State University gave me this opportunity. So, yeah, I've been doing research in philosophy ever since. I love philosophy for some reason. (laughs) It might be the openness. It's almost like um, scientists of reasoning and you're always open. Why did you become interested in philosophy, Susie? A little bit for what you said, you know, it's, uh, yeah, the science of thinking, right? Uh, you are uh, you are free. You're incredibly free when uh, you do philosophy because uh, you can really go anywhere and uh, it's flying above everything. I mean, uh, what you gain from a philosophical research uh, is uh, the um, big picture, of your life uh, or a subject you're studying or a lived experience that you can't understand. So, um, yeah, it's a kind of a discipline that uh, touches everything and uh, gives you sense and meaning of everything you try to observe. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. me too. I love what you said about... um, Philosophy giving you this sense of the big picture, giving us the opportunity to see the big picture. That is so true as well. But there are so many other nuances, right, Susie? My second official question for you today is the main topic of our conversation today, which is another topic I love. And I have to use the same word, love. (laughs) So how do you describe what love is today? I, yeah, I'm writing, uh, now it's over, uh, I will publish this book uh, the coming year with Routledge, this book on the ethics of love. And it's actually my second book on the topic because uh, uh, my first book was uh, The Phenomenology of Sex, Love and Intimacy. And now in this book, I'm uh, uh, investigating uh, the possibility of an ethics of love. You know, in English, uh, you are a little bit, um, we are a little bit at a loss of words uh, when we try to define love, because um, we have just this word, love. And in fact, the nuances uh, when we speak about love are so many. Uh, So um, I generally use uh, Greek, who had uh, so many words and so many gods devoted to each of these words. So one thing is eros, you know, the erotic um, impulse to love. Another thing is stergo, uh, you know, the kind of balanced, uh, encompassing form of love. Another thing is phileo, the friendship. Or another kind of love is anteros, the, the love that wants to be loved back. What uh, what was more um, interesting for me in this uh, book about the ethics of love I was uh, working on now was, um, you know, the possibility of uh, seeing if uh, there was a space to be decent to each other when it comes to love. 
in the sense that uh, in our society in general, the, the general perception is to think that, you know, love is a sentiment, is a feeling. You cannot comment love. Uh, you cannot uh, have any kind of um, decision about it. Love is love and is always good. And, you know, since I work as a philosophical counselor, uh, I happen to have many clients in my office that uh, are in uh, some kind of trouble because um, we are not sufficiently educated about love. I mean, it is true that the intention of love is always good. But, you know, in the same way as we learned what to do if we have a stomachache, and how to prevent a stomachache, right? It would be really beautiful if we knew how to prevent, to hurt ourselves, to feel deprived or depressed or to hurt others in love and what to do when this happens. So, you know, I, I started investigating the chance of an ethics in love. I mean, being able to do some ethical reasoning when we behave in a loving way, when we talk about love. You know, like logic is the discipline that allows us to reason in a way that is understandable for each other. Ethics seems to be the discipline that helps us to love each other in a way that is uh, decent, in a way that is uh, comfortable, good for everyone involved. Yeah, that is uh, in general the idea that uh, I'm focusing on when I think about love today. I wonder if the ethics are connected to values, belief systems and even conditionings, like biological conditionings. Would you say so? Yeah, you know, there are different ways to understand ethics. So there's uh, an evolutionary way of considering ethics that certainly puts uh, an emphasis on conditionings. Neuroethics, for example, now consider ethics as something connected to the structure of our brain. And, uh, uh, yeah, psychological ethics uh, emphasizes uh, uh, the role that our society plays uh, on the decisions that we make and uh, the options that we are left with uh, in the moment in which we have to make an important choice. In general, uh, I like to think of ethics as uh, the science that helps us uh, to choose what is right and wrong. And it is true. I mean, we are born with a certain body within a certain family, in a certain geographical area. Uh, So all these uh, represent uh, objective conditionings to our actions. Um, But, you know, as Aristotle uh, uh, taught us, uh, it is also true that we can develop uh, through time uh, a character 
of our own that helps us uh, uh, time by time to make choices that are good for uh, our eudaimonia, as he said, uh, for our um, flourishing, for our well-being. So, you know, even if there are uh, certain situations that are pre-given, Ethics is exactly that discipline that tells us, hey, you have the choice. You, you can make decisions that are right for yourself. So go for it. And uh, yeah, I, I like reflecting and investigating in this area. It really sounds to me like um, the idea of choice is, um, it might come from when you say even like our own choices, making an individual choice, it has to do with a, a deconstruct of belief systems. We need to kind of, uh, if possible, and maybe that's why I contemplate these days um, have been kind of reflecting about control and choice, how much choice do we really have? Uh, for me, it came from deconstruction of belief systems, maybe not mm -hmm. values, but mm -hmm. belief systems, a lot of them. And for that, I needed was my path to spirituality. Philosophy too, I would say, uh, helped a lot, but mainly spirituality. So I'm wondering if, do you integrate somehow spirituality to this idea of love, of the ethics of love? So uh, I, I, we are working in class, actually, with my students uh, these weeks uh, on the notion of spirituality, because, you know, it's, uh, it's a word that, uh, yeah, we are given since uh, the Middle Ages, uh, since the rise of Christianity. And uh, it is curious how spirituality and religion today seem to point to two different directions, not opposite, but yet uh, somewhat different. Personally, I try to keep my spirituality as something private and uh, I have difficulties still to understand if my religion has to do with my spirituality or not, because spirituality seems to have um, a more concrete uh, nuance. I mean, uh, religion seems to speak to value systems uh, to, you know, a kind of uh, a, a, a structure for my deeds, while spirituality is something that accompanies me in my daily life. It's a, it's a collection of rituals, of um, guidelines to behave in certain situations. So, but it's a comp I, I think that it, it informs uh, who I am, but it's not something that takes part uh, in uh, uh, the object of my studying yet. Right. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. think I asked the question because the introduction you sent me for your book, the book that you're writing, that you have been mentioned, The Ethics of Love, you said something very interesting that caught my attention immediately. You said, I believe that giving up on unconditional love means to lose the opportunity to connect with a vital, almost divine source of energy. Mm. So that really resonated. <laughs> that's you, why I asked. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's very spiritual, <laughs> if we can say that, call it that. <laughs> 
talk to me about unconditional love, Susie. What does it mean to love unconditionally? You know, uh, working on that chapter was uh, the most difficult part of my job uh, and was so surprising because uh, before writing that chapter, I also wrote uh, a post for Psychology Today because I have my online uh, space there. And I wrote about unconditional love and I was so surprised because after that I received plenty of emails from people who told me quite aggressively uh, that uh, my idea of unconditional love was somewhat disrespectful. And I was really surprised. But Probably when we speak about unconditional love, we touch a deep chords of um, our being humans and uh, also of our sense of duty, I guess, from each other. So what did I say? Basically, I think that unconditional love lies in our ability to see the other person. Uh, what Lacan often says, uh, for example, when he spoke about love, is that, uh, you know, in love you give what you don't have to somebody who doesn't want it, which is a wonderful, which is a wonderful summary of the game of projections that very easily are triggered by love. I think that unconditional love is this uh, ongoing effort that we make to try to stop this projecting game and uh, try to see the person we love for who he or she really is without trying to expect, without trying to want the person different from what he or she is. So, you know, the mother who wants the daughter to become a lawyer or to marry that guy. Yeah, okay, you will love her independently of that. Now, what's the problem here? The problem is that Unconditional love is quite challenging. If you want to love unconditionally, I don't know, a son or a daughter that are addicted with heavy drugs, if your partner is abusive, if your parents are highly disrespectful of your freedom. In that case, unconditional love become challenging. And that's where I think some of my readers felt uh, in disagreement with me. I think that in these cases as well, unconditional love is possible. Unconditional love doesn't mean that you have to merge with the other person. It just mean that, means that, okay, you realize that your partner is abusive and uh, with all the love you have left, uh, you say, okay, I, I see you. Uh, I understand your problems. Uh, I will have my life. That doesn't mean that I don't love you anymore. I mean, uh, being able to set boundaries uh, do not uh, imply that when you set those boundaries, uh, you force yourself uh, to not love that person anymore. That is a violence for yourself and the other. 
I think it's much more, um, you know, helpful to be honest to yourself, recognize that there is love, but that love is incompatible with the kind of life you would like to have. Yeah, that was uh, that is my my general idea for unconditional love, being able to see the person you are loving for who this person really is. Mm. Yeah. It comes to me every time as a message that this is already fulfillment, that life itself is unconditional love. To be in a human body, Completely. it's already unconditional love. Completely. If we can see ourselves navigate this reality through those lens, then it's so much less challenging. Mm -hmm. It might not be easy, mm -hmm. but it's less challenging to see others in life itself, everything that is here as unconditional yeah. love, unconditional wholeness, unconditional happening, whatever this is. <laughs> and that's how I tend to think. And it helps me to, to see the big picture and become a lot more kind and merge with life itself in harmony and kind of sing most of the time and kind of dance the dance of harmony. That really, really has helped me. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. And with this, we come back to Middle Ages philosophy with uh, uh, the fathers of the church, with the with the philosophical theories that were forming right before of Christianity. Uh, so the idea of God as being and being as love. I mean, uh, there's uh, no space uh, left uh, without that. I mean, uh, ontology is uh, exactly this. Uh, so the, the, the being itself uh, is uh, uh, this, uh, this power that keeps everything together. And we find theories, you know, this same theory in uh, Empedocles, uh, uh, in uh, his uh, theory, in his cosmology of the Spiros, uh, you know, he says that things come together uh, through this power of love or um, Heraclitus, I mean, uh, or Stoicism. Uh, it's, uh, it's a form of uh, rational love in the sense of being able to understand this power that already keeps things together. And if you trust rationally this structure of being, well, your life can be a little more peaceful. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. I often refer to it as uh, the impossible, this idea of realizing that, that we are the impossible already. We are fulfillment <laughs> already. So it's like the impossible being realized. <laughs> How oh, can this really be? Beautiful. Oh, that's really beautiful. I never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like impossible Thanks. to be talking to you right now. How could this be? How could this happen? I don't know. I have no idea. I can't rationalize it, but it is happening. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And I love the way you say when it comes to unconditional love, too. You said something uh, beautiful in the introduction of your book, The Ethics of Love. You say, what hurts in loving unconditionally is our inability to love ourselves in our own limits. It resonates true to me as well. 
Yeah, because, you know, that's the problem of projections, right? So you move the attention from yourself to the other and you start expecting things from the other that, in fact, you would like to have for yourself. Uh, I don't know, the typical situation of couples. So he demands more attention from her or vice versa. Well, in fact, probably his soul, his being, he's demanding more attention from himself or vice versa again. So, you know, when we are incapable of unconditional love is because there's some kind, I don't know, I don't have the answer, but my intuition is that there's some some kind of enmeshment for which we don't... And we don't understand where we are. We are not in contact with ourselves. And so all the wounds of our soul tend to reflect on the other. And and that's a, a game over. Because, of course, we are responsible for our care, our well-being, our happiness. And um, if we lose touch and contact with ourselves, then it will become very, very difficult to love ourselves and others. And I think that unconditional love is uh, the via regia to the, the, the best way to come in touch with uh, your deep self. Uh, and uh, being able to see all the other beings around you, which can be even a flower, I mean, or uh, the beautiful day that is outside. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes, (laughs) I I love the the wisdom that flows through you. Yes, yes, yes. I love the way you talk about philosophy, too. In the book, you say philosophy was born as love for wisdom. But in fact, Mm -hmm. what they love (laughs) is reasoning. (laughs) It's reasoning. So true. Uh So I have one more warm up question. And then I have a few questions about your book uh, left here. Uh, Let me ask you this question. What do you love most about being in a human body? Oh, that's a beautiful question. What do I? Yeah, that's a very beautiful question. I love uh, and uh, yeah, I, I should apologize for that uh, with uh, towards Stoicism and uh, certain uh, Christian uh, doctrines. But I really love the sensuousness of my body. I mean, in the sense that I love that I can perceive. I mean, I love the taste of the food. I love the effects that a hug has on me. I love kissing. I I love dancing. I mean, I really love the connection to senses. Uh, that my body have. And I must say, I'm very lucky because I was born uh, in a healthy body with a healthy mind. Uh, so I I could really enjoy all this. 
And uh, I feel very, very, very grateful for that. Uh, of course, so there are certain philosophical schools that say, yeah, but you shouldn't stop to your senses. Uh, you should go deeper. And I promise I will do that. <laughs> but <laughs> talk yeah. about, uh, yeah, what I love about my body, I really love being in contact with my senses. Yeah. yeah I love that answer. <laughs> it makes me think about uh, something that, some of my guests say here on a podcast, oh, this is the embodiment uh, of love. Mm-hmm. When you're kind of, a, you're so grounded in mm-hmm. this that uh, we call the body. And then we just let these energies flow and do what they mm-hmm. do and just experience mm-hmm. the environment and, and everything that's it's here now, that's present. Completely. That's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful answer. Now, a lot of times we go to the mind, right, for, um, right. for the light, but the body yeah. itself is amazing. I totally agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-mm. So you write in the book, The Ethics of Love, we have been talking about. What is the main inspiration and intention of writing this book, Susie? <laughs> That's a, a very good question. You know, uh, well, certainly uh, me, I mean, in the sense that uh, the past life I had, uh, I come from uh, a challenging family. So I had to learn uh, how to love and how to be decent uh, in loving uh, the people I loved. So I had to really learn it uh, because uh, I didn't have uh, good examples. Uh, they were a little too complicated, but, you know, everything is meant to be. So certainly that was uh, a step I had to take in my life. And also, you know, um, growing up, uh, I met with women. I encountered in uh, in my life women that... Uh, uh, some of them died, uh, some by suicide, another one, uh, she let herself die, uh, another one in an accident, and uh, their death was uh, out of love. You know, they they were heartbroken from their partners, and they never found their way out of that uh, hurtful way of loving. I was very young when I met them. You know, I was in my early 20s. So I never had a chance to bring any comfort to them or uh, even to understand what was going on. Their death uh, just uh, uh, left an impression in my head. And uh, I think, you know, that in this book, I tried also to bring some kind of uh, meaning uh, to those experiences. Uh, You know, it's really, really sad to see that uh, love can bring also this kind of desperation. And I hope that as human beings, uh, we can evolve uh, to a um, psychological, psychic level in such a way that uh, love would mean only positive, warm things. I don't think we are there yet, though. So, yeah, that's why I wrote this book. Mm -mm. What an interesting inspiration to write a book. When you talk about everything is meant to be in a way, so do you believe in destiny and some sort of purpose, individual purpose for this human experience, Susie? Is that what it is? (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, I'm uh, somewhat look at Jung when uh, I when I say that uh, Jung or uh, Husserl in phenomenology, I think that everything that happens in your life uh, is an opportunity to make meaning, to make uh, sense, uh, to build uh, your way, and uh, somehow. Your soul, your being is built in such a way that you have to understand that thing in your life. You have to make sense of it in your life. If you miss that meaning, if you miss that sense, then, you know, you would feel a little bit uncomfortable on the chair. Uh, it's as if, or in your bed, you know, it's as if um, making meanings in your life uh, is uh, the main goal uh, of uh, your being here. At least for me, at least that's the um, way in which I see things. And if you miss uh, the opportunity for that meaning, uh, nothing ha- nothing tragic happens, but you might feel a, a little more restless, a little bit more uh, uncomfortable with yourself. Mm. So you need to catch that opportunity. Coming from the space of individual separated self from life in a way, that makes a lot of sense that we are always navigating through our emotions, belief systems and values. And then we need to rewrite these systems when something happens that challenge the very core of what we think we are or believe in. So that makes sense. But I tend to see life in human beings as nature itself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I wonder if we can somehow drop the stories, the belief systems and kind of be as natural <laughs> mm-hmm. as possible, like nature, like mm-hmm. trees and, and flowers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I wonder. Yeah, I mean, that's why we need to meditate, right? Uh, I mean, to remind ourselves uh, that we are nature. I mean, my philosopher whom I love, uh, he wrote a book that is, uh, I don't think it's been, it's a nature on Geist, which means uh, a nature and spirit. And uh, yeah, he basically says, well, we are nature. Uh, we, our nature is uh, uh, made in such a way that we can reflect on it, uh, but we shouldn't trick uh, ourselves in thinking that uh, our reflection on it uh, is what we really are. You know, creating uh, a too rigid structure of uh, who we are uh, makes our illusion uh, heavier. So we should be able to keep uh, the natural flow of being uh, as strong as possible because that is the source of our vitality. And then, of course, our reflecting nature is, uh, you know, the way in which we make sense of things that uh, uh, we happen to be awake for. Because, yeah, there are so many things that uh, our nature is uh, that, uh, unfortunately, we cannot be present to everything. We have moments of presence uh, and in these moments we try to make sense. That's yeah. true, given the, yeah, the very nature of thinking, right? That we are able to reflect, think and be and operate in time and nature itself. Yeah. It's not in time. Um, it's yeah. right yeah. here all Completely. the time, right? I love the depth of your wisdom, um, how well, deep you can get. <laughs> really, you it's too. <laughs> beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for being you. Oh, my God, Susie. 
um, saying just that word because of yeah, I was raised as a Catholic too in Brazil, uh-huh. and then the, that word uh-huh. God still comes, but now it's more like God, Goddess, everything is just one thing operating. Of course. The introduction you sent me for your book, it's so interesting. I could not stop reading it and just writing <laughs> passages and reflecting. <laughs> I could not stop. It's just so <laughs> fascinating. I love Thank you so yeah, how much. you explore this theme that is so mm-hmm. close to our hearts, all of us human beings. Thank you so much mm-hmm. again. My pleasure. And before I ask you my final questions, I do have the ending questions. Would you like to add anything else or read a passage in your book? Uh, Not really. I think I'm too shy for that. (laughs) I'm very happy that uh, you found passages. uh, uh, That's uh, that's a great opportunity for me uh, to have you uh, spotting light here and there. That was already a wonderful opportunity for me. Yeah, there were so many more, actually, at the time. But we might come back. So let me know when the book's published. I would love to talk Absolutely. to you again. I have so many Thank more you. questions. And <laughs> the last ones, let me see. So I have too many here. Let me ask you, what is another word for life? Okay. <laughs> wow, that's a very good question. I I don't know. Probably I'm too influenced by Greek, ancient Greek, and I would say Zoe. I mean, I would say, uh, to come back also to what we were saying uh, a minute ago, uh, it's really this uh, zone. I mean, uh, the natural life, uh, the uh, nature, I mean, being, just being uh, uh, as uh, nature, as uh, this flow that uh, that goes uh, independently of our power of control, which is uh, just an illusion. You know, Greek generally uses, uh, yeah, they, they use different words, but uh, the way in which they indicate life uh, might be bios or zoe. But, you know, while bios has this reflective uh, component uh, built uh, in it, uh, zoe is really uh, the, the, the flow of nature. And, uh, yeah, I would indicate life with um, this kind of power. But it's uh, it's something I, I, I should think more on. I th- That's my... Very first uh, answer to your question, yeah. (laughs) If you think about any other word, other way to interpret or see life, let me know. I'll have that on your podcast in a written (laughs) form. And um, my last question is, what are three things about life you wish everyone to experience before they die? Well, my life uh, is not as experienced as I wish to give uh, uh, an answer to a beautiful question like this. Uh, Certainly love, you know, the unconditional, pure, uh, welcoming love. Uh, Often they say that, uh, yeah, parents can love unconditionally, but that's all. And, you know, to all the people who were born from dysfunctional families uh, of SNAP, they lost their opportunity to be loved unconditionally. So, Yeah, I wish for everyone to experience unconditional love. 
audio. And now, since I'm thinking of love, I'm thinking of the beauty of an orgasm, <laughs> you know, uh, the beauty of uh, experiencing uh, love through your body, through powerful uh, uh, feeling of uh, enjoyment. Uh, I, I think it's uh, it's a, a beautiful experience as well, and uh, the lightness of uh, playfulness. I really love lightness. I really love playfulness. I love feeling one with uh, other people around and enjoying, uh, you know, the, the the moment, the time being, without having to worry or to think too much. Uh, yeah, that sense of communion, mm. uh, but in a with with lightness and playfulness. Uh. Yeah. That's what comes to mind now. Yeah. I love all that. I have to say the same <laughs> word. I love your wisdom. I love your presence. Thank you so much, Susie. Wow. Thank Playfulness. You, ah, so true. Yeah. So true. Why not? Especially with this COVID situation, we are a little yeah, more worried than before. Yeah, no. right. Too much in our heads, mm-hmm. right? Exactly, exactly. Thank you so mm-hmm. much again. Mm-hmm. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Thank you, Valeria. So uh, you can find more information about me on my column, my blog on psychology today, uh, lying on the philosopher's couch. On Academia di Idu, you can find, you know, my boring uh, academic articles. And uh, on, um, yeah, I think on Amazon, uh, you can find more or less uh, uh, all that I published. I mean, if you read Italian, I also published the collections of uh, tales and fables, uh, in case you like, uh, uh, you know, a lighter uh, writing and uh, that's all, I guess. Yes. I was thinking that also if uh, you'd be curious about uh, what is philosophical counseling uh, or you would like to book uh, a, a session of philosophical counseling uh, or consulting, it depends on uh, where you are listening uh, to this podcast. Yeah, there's my page uh, Intention in Practice, which is um, my website where um, I explain a little bit more about philosophical counseling. Oh, wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile. Thank you so much Thank again, you so Susie. Much. We'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank you, Valeria. Thank Bye. you, Susie. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Susie Ferrarello and her work, please visit practicalintentionality.com and psychologytoday.com slash intl slash contributors slash Susie hyphen Ferrarello hyphen PhD. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.